Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion championship team. Hello, everybody. Welcome into another edition of the Pipeline Podcast. Tim McMaster here along with MLB Pipeline's Jim Callis. Jonathan Mayo not with us this week. He will be back for the next one, I would assume. Um, some cool stuff to get to, Jim. It's, it's early in the hot stove season, but we have a trade involving a big prospect. So we'll talk about that. And we'll also kind of put a bow on the Arizona Fall League season, the championship game, which was one of the more exciting championship games, I think, in AFL history. Um, we'll talk about the MVP and, and just who impressed out in Arizona. But let's start with the trade. It's the New York Yankees. Go ahead, pull the trigger and get James Paxton from the Seattle Mariners. They send three players out west, including their number one prospect, Justice Sheffield. Also, Eric Swanson, who is the Yankees' number 22 prospect. And Dom Thompson-Williams, who was not ranked, but is kind of intriguing as an outfielder. 23-year-old who had a nice season in high A in 2018. Let's go through these guys, though. Starting, obviously, with Sheffield. Um, He got to the big leagues last year, Jim. Uh, It seems like people are still kind of up and, and there's some arguments of whether Justice Sheffield is a top of the line one or two type guy or if he's a mid rotation guy. Where do you see him fitting into a big league rotation? Yeah, you know, my, yeah, some of this, I mean, yeah, yeah, you do this prospect stuff, Tim, and, and some of it is based on you know, talking to people and seeing guys. Some of it's gut feel. My, my gut feel says a little bit more of a number three than a frontline guy, even though he is one of the best left-hand pitching prospects in baseball. Yeah, that's not based on him getting knocked around in a couple outings at the end of the year, because I think it's very tough to ask a guy who's been developed as a starter for his whole career to, um, you know, hey, we're in the middle of a a race for wildcard positioning, and we're going to make you a reliever. He became a reliever toward the end of August in in AAA. Um, But, you know, I mean, I I think, you know, looking at this trace whole, I think it was a pretty good get. For the Mariners, I mean, look, they weren't going to resign Paxton for when they were going to really seriously contend again. And the Yankees, I mean, I think it's more of a no-brainer from the Yankees' side. But you know, to me, getting Justice Sheffield was kind of like the Orioles getting Yusniel Diaz for Manny Machado. You know, you, you get one big guy, and then you get a couple other guys thrown in the deal. I think one thing that's that's great from a Mariners' standpoint when you look at this is Paxton has been so injured in his career. He's missed huge chunks of time. Um, he's never pitched made 30 starts in a season. He topped out last year with his career high 160 innings. Um, I feel like the Mariners could be trading a guy high coming off his best major league season 
with an injury record. But on the other hand, he could end up going to the Yankees, being healthy and being a, a frontline ace type guy. But to get a guy like Sheffield back is impressive. Now they tried, Jim. The stories have come out now. The other team involved in Paxton heavily was the Houston Astros. The Mariners tried to pull Forrest Whitley away from the Astros. Couldn't. Forrest Whitley actually tweeted this morning a thank you to Jeff Lunau for not trading him, <laughs> which was neat and just something that you see now in the social media age. But um, to me, that would have been kind of a, a steal by the Mariners, right? To get a guy like Forrest Whitley for James Paxton? Yeah, I mean, I understand when the Astros didn't do that. I mean, I, I don't know if right. steals right away because, you know, it's tough on these things. I mean, I would not have traded – well, it's easy for me to send a vacuum. I wouldn't have wanted to trade Forrest Whitley for James Paxton either. And then Astros, I mean, I know they're kind of rejiggering their rotation a little bit and Keuchel might leave and McCullers is hurt and who knows if Charlie Morton will come back. But at the same time, I mean, you might just plug Forrest Whitley in, in there at some point, you know, middle of next year based on how he looked at the fall league at times. You know, it's tough. Cause, I mean, I think the toughest thing I have when I'm looking at trades is as much as I love prospects, and I love prospects as much as anybody, they aren't sure things. And you did bring in the uncertainty with, with James Paxton. I mean, I think between that and the, and the thought, you know, is he going to stay ever stay fully healthy for a full year? And is he going to, you know, he's not going to resign in Seattle because somebody else will pay him more when they're ready to win again. But at the same time, I mean, you know what you're getting out of James Paxton. And maybe even if you only get James Paxton for 25 starts, those are probably going to be 25 pretty good starts. And if you have him in the playoffs, that could be a big difference too. Because the Yankees, it, it, it was weird the way the American League was this year, but it's weird looking at that Yankees team that won 100 games. Well, they didn't really have a very formidable rotation when they got to the playoffs and the Red Sox exposed it uh, pretty easily. Um so on one hand, yeah, I would not have wanted to trade Forrest Whitley. But on the other hand, if you're a team like the Astros or you're a team like the Yankees, and it's basically at this point World Series championship or bust for those teams, then I can see where, you know, you might be tempted to give one of those guys up. And like I said, I, I, I could see what the Yankees were doing in this because, you know, I mean, certainly, I mean, you would agree, Tim, when you, I mean, nothing less than a World Series championship next year is going to satisfy the Yankees. I mean, not that that's easy to win. But, I mean, that's what they're playing for at this point, right? Yeah, I think it's different for each team just because the Astros just won the title two years ago. And I right. think they're looking at this as we do want to keep this window open. Some of our guys are going to start to get expensive. And we want Forrest Whitley to be kind of the guy and maybe the key guy at the top of the rotation for the next runs. Um, whereas the Yankees, it's never looked two years into the future. It's always now, now, now. And, by the way, the Red Sox won the World Series, which is just a dagger for the Yankees organization, not just to lose to the Red Sox, but then see them win their fourth title of the century. Um, it it's means that 2019 is huge. And this offseason reminds me of the 2008 into 2009 offseason where the Yankees brought in CeCe Sabathia and Teixeira and spent all that money. I think they trade for Paxton. I think they could still go out and sign Corbin and who knows about other players, but they're, they're all in this offseason. So I think the deal made more sense to get Paxton for the Yankees. Plus, Sheffield, like we've said, Sheffield isn't quite the prospect that Forrest Whitley is either. Right. So definitely interesting. Right. What about Eric Swanson? Because they did get more than just Sheffield. Um, how does Swanson fit in? He He's lower in the Yankees' top 30, but he did get to AAA last year. Yeah, I mean, like I said, this trade kind of reminded me of, of the Machado trade. I know the circumstances were different there because Machado was becoming a free agent, you know, immediately after the season. You know, where you get like one, you know, acclaimed prospect and two kind of complementary pieces. I mean, Swanson could wind up in Seattle's rotation next year. I mean, he's 
a decent prospect. I mean, he's number nine on the Mariners list. And I'm not knocking Eric Swanson by saying this, but the Mariners might have the worst top 30 of all of our top 30. So it's not like him being number nine on the Mariners list indicates that he's this lofty prospect. I mean, I think you're looking at a guy who the upside is a number four starter. The more probable outcome is probably that multi-inning reliever. You know, he was, uh, you know, it's interesting because both Sheffield and Swanson were part of trades in 2016, which is the one year where the Yankees in midseason decided that they were sellers and not buyers. And they traded Carlos Beltran to get Swanson as a secondary player in a deal from the Rangers. I trade Sheffield. They got Sheffield as one, two key prospects along with Clint Frazier from the Indians uh, for Andrew Miller. And they also got Glaber Torres as the key guy coming back for role as Chapman. And so they spun off Sheffield and Swanson. I mean, Swanson, he, he, he it, well, I think the best thing about him, Tim, is a lot of times we talk about, and you probably picked up on this because you, you voice over the, the bulk of all of our prospect videos that go on our site. Well, a lot of times we talk about the guy being deceptive or funky or, you know, hitters have a hard time picking up the ball comes with that is that the pitcher's delivery is a little off or not pristine and he has a hard time throwing strikes. So you don't usually get the guy who's deceptive and keeps guys off the ball, but also throws a lot of strikes. And Swanson is that guy. I mean, he, it, it's probably average fastball, fastball velocity that plays up because it, it, he has some run on his fastball and, and guys don't really seem to see it. He's got an okay slider, an okay changeup. Like I said, he pounds the strike zone. Um, it'll be interesting. I, I would assume, you know, I, I was joking last night. I did a couple, I've done a couple radio shows since trade. Yeah, I would assume he'd be in the rotation, Tim, unless Jerry DePoto trades him between now and spring training. He may have already traded him. Who knows? Yeah, yeah. by the time this comes out, people <laughs> may be saying, what are you talking about? He got traded Tuesday night. So, All right. Quickly on Dom Thompson-Williams. I know he's a lesser prospect. He's still part of the deal. Is there a... Is this a guy who could get to the big leagues, or do you see him more of, of a uh, kind of a minor league depth type player? Um, he could get to the big leagues again. You know, what's interesting for like <laughs> maybe mostly to me is both Dom Thompson Williams and Eric Swanson played together. I don't know if they played together. They both came from Iowa Western, which is one of the top JUCO pro- programs in the country. And I'm always bearing down on Iowa Western. When we do our draft stuff, but um, and they went to South Carolina. You know, it's interesting. The Yankees farm system is pitching dominated for whatever reason. The pitchers really stand out. I think we've got something like 23 or somewhere around there pitchers on our top 30 list, which is another list I do. Dom Thompson Williams wasn't on that list, but he probably the best performance just in terms of stats this year of any Yankees position player. Hit 299, 22 homers, 20 steals, 100 games. Um, You know, it's a, you know, those stats would indicate it's a power speed combo. Um, it's solid speed. It's solid power, certainly solid raw power. Um, you know, the, the ability to, to catch up to, to good velocity consistently. That's kind of been the question on him going back to his amateur days. He could kind of play all three outfield spots. Um, realistically, uh, you know, unless the bat continues to, you know, the hitting Billy really tends to tick up. I think he's more of that interesting fourth outfielder who could do a little bit of everything where he can, he can run, he can hit for power and he could really fill in at all three outfield spots. So useful player, I, you know, he's 14th on our, our Mariners list. Cause again, the Mariners list 
is, is probably the thinnest list of all of our top 30s. But he's probably more of that uh, complimentary player than a guy you're, you're going to have in the lineup on a regular basis. All right. So I, I have hopes that having a big trade like this before Thanksgiving means that this hot stove season is going to move a little quicker than it did a year ago. But only time will tell. And hopefully we'll maybe have a big winter meetings as well. All right. Let's move on. Okay, Tim. I was yeah. going to ask you a question. Okay. Do you think this means that Jerry Depoto can now like focus on Thanksgiving? Or, or do you think like like even Thursday, like while they're sitting at the table, he's going to be texting trade offers to people? For the people that I work with here at MLB.com that will be here in the office hoping that nothing big happens i hope that jerry can now enjoy some turkey take some time and and uh and wait a week before he makes his next trade but that's just my selfish uh hoping for my co-workers thoughts how's that yeah, that seems fair i'm sure his cell phone will be on at the thanksgiving day dinner table though i'm sure <laughs> you don't you don't think his family makes jerry depoto like turn his phone off at least for when they sit down at the table i think if you're related to jerry depoto you know what you're getting into so i, I, I doubt true. it well, what about his mom and dad? Do you think his like parents would make him turn off the phone though? Oh, that's interesting. I, I don't know. I, I'd yeah. be curious. Yeah, maybe. Maybe he has to like sneak it under the table. Little text message here, text message there. I don't know. Maybe Jerry, te- you know, did you maybe Jerry text so much he can text with his toes? So he has it on the floor and he's typing out trade offers with his toes. You probably <laughs> easier with a BlackBerry than a than a smartphone. So should just follow Jerry Depoto around for Thanksgiving. He'd be a fly on the wall and see what he's up to uh, during a holiday. That's right. I'll see if I can be invited, embed myself with the Depoto Thanksgiving celebration and get the answers to these important questions. These are these are valuable questions. All right. He is the busiest man of every hot stove season, it seems like, Jerry Depoto with the Seattle Mariners. All right. Arizona Fall League, Jim, you were there for the championship. Peoria 3-2 to two over Salt River in 10 innings. They tied it in the ninth, walk-off homer in the tenth by Braxton Davidson. Uh, before we get into it and break it down a little bit, I think everybody needs to just hear Buddy Reed because he was mic'd <laughs> up for the telecast. He was and... the best. <laughs> he is. We we probably went to Buddy like we probably went to Buddy Reed mic'd up about six times. We knew what we were getting into, and he did not right. disappoint. He uh, he's a friend of the podcast as well. This is Buddy Reed watching. Braxton Davidson bat with the game on the line, followed by him talking about it afterwards. So let's listen in on Buddy Reed. Let's go, Braxton. Indescribable. I mean, shoot. Braxton comes up, last man up. We 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 all said he was going to do something special. Hits a walk-off homer, rolls his ankle, obviously, unfortunately, but it was huge. I mean, I got his bat right here, and it just is a lot about his work ethic. Coming here, um, he had a lot to work on. He told us he had a lot to work on, and he proved everybody wrong, all the people that doubted him, and he had a hell of a 30 games here, a hell of a season, and then to top it off, he does that. It's unbelievable. I'm so happy for him. How good were the, both both starting pitchers? I mean, this is a real, real pitcher's duel early if they're like yeah. seven or eight. You know, Yamamoto, if I'm saying his name correctly, is, is lights out kind of. You know, he's deceptive and he's got fastball, slider, curveball, changeup, and he mixes up well, and he's got really good RPMs, uh, spin rate guy. And hats off to him for coming out and, and pitching well. And then obviously Miguel Diaz, the big leaguer, you know, played in double A with me a little bit, also played in the big leagues. I mean, struck out four guys in an inning in, in the big leagues, and then coming out here, he pitched his ass off. Pardon my French, but he did an amazing job. Tremendous stuff. He was so excited, Jim. And he's in the interview afterwards, and he actually says, yeah, I still have Braxton's bat. He was holding onto the bat. Of course, Davidson twisting the ankle, unfortunately, and had to be helped off the field. 
Um, but you've seen a lot of AFL championship games over the years. Where does this rank? Well, that was certainly the most dramatic. And, and, and you know, you, you don't get it quite conveyed on radio, obviously. But Buddy Reed, after, while, while Braxton Davidson was rounding the bases and about to hurt himself, uh, Buddy Reed was screaming about the bat and he was holding the bat as if the bat was like the Ark of the Covenant. It, it was <laughs> like as great as that sound was, the video like even adds to it. Cause I, I, I said this a couple times we on the air, like we probably went to buddy being mic'd up about six times. I, there was one, I don't know if we used it about him talking about climbing the mountains and getting helicopter down from the top. He couldn't believe that and scorpions and snakes. And he was awesome. And I told, Steven Nelson and Dan O'Dowd, I said, if he has any kind of big league career, he'll be like working for MLB Network afterward. Like he, he's a natural. But um, no, in terms of the game, as dramatic as it gets, I mean, it, it was it was a really weird game in that, like I always after I broadcast the games with him, I wind up usually getting commissioned to do for MLB.com, you know, write a story on the players who stood out. And it was weird because it was this low scoring game and, and it, but there weren't really that many dominant performances, either pitching or hitting. It was a very weird game that way. And Peoria, which had the best offense in the league and the third best record regular season in AFL history, like Yamamoto shut Jordan Yamamoto shut him out for a while, but they had like, it seemed like two guys on and even bases loaded at times, almost every inning. And I kept telling, cause I, I mean, not that I'm claiming I'm clairvoyant, but I kept telling Stephen Nelson and Dan O'Dowd, Peoria has come back all season long with all these dramatic comebacks and, you know, the best, you know, perhaps the best way to put it, the most prospected closer in the league came in for Salt River in the ninth, Justin Lawrence, exactly the way they drew it up, up to nothing. But just like he did in the fall stars game, Justin Lawrence is a side armor who throws harder than almost every side armor. It's like 94, 98 and up with a ton of life. His ball moves so much, uh, Tim, that if you look at the games he pitches on Statcast at Salt River, they classify, his fastball, which is like 94, 98 is a slider because it moves too much. Like, so if you look at the game, the game uh, on game day, it'll be like 96 mile an hour slider, um, which it isn't a slider, but that's how much it moves. It's, 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 it's ridiculous. It, it's a ridiculous pitch, but like he did in the fall stars game where buddy Reed hit a, a game time triple off him and then scored the winning run. I think Justin Lawrence got a little too amped up and he didn't command it very well and he got it up and and Lucius Fox hit a ball in between a couple outfielders that became a double and then Keston you know just then they had a wild pitch to score a run and Keston Heron drove you know the league MVP drove in a run to tie it and then bottom of the 10th uh Stephen Nelson literally said doing the play-by-play Braxton Davidson who led the league in homers tied for the league home run lead he said Braxton Davidson can end this game with one swing he literally said that they throw the next pitch, and Braxton Davidson, I don't know how many of the listeners have been to Scottsdale Stadium, maybe for a Giants game if you haven't been there for the AFL, but there's a bullpen in right field, and above the bullpen, you know, it's probably a good 15, 20 feet up, something like that. There's a picnic area. He hit a ball over the bullpen, over the picnic tables, and onto the walkway behind that. I, it, it, there's not stat cast at, at Scottsdale Stadium. But my the, the callous cast estimate, I'll bet that ball would have traveled 450 feet if it, it had not been impeded and just been allowed to land where it would have landed. It, it was it was a no doubt home run as soon as it left his bat. bat. So it was pretty it was pretty cool. Callous cast is trademarked, by the way, for anybody out there. Um, I, we need to get a sponsor for it. Like, I don't know if Amazon Web Services wants to take that one. There you go, too, just but, a little under, under available. The, within the umbrella. Uh, you mentioned Yamamoto and how he kept them off the board for a long time. Um, he spoke after the game about really not feeling like he pitched very well, but, but being able to battle through things. So here's Yamamoto. 
Got the deep counts, walked a lot of guys. Don't usually do that, but hey, it's a part of the game. Gotta got find ways to get out of it. She did a nice job getting out of it. Left eight guys on base, didn't give up any runs. I mean, that, what's yeah. kind of your mindset with, with guys on base like that? My thing is just getting them out. I mean, I, I'm here to get guys out, and that's my job, and, uh, and that's what I was brought here to do. And I mean, even though I walked them, I still like dug deep and just I just got them out. So overall, a low-scoring game. Um, other than Yamamoto, who else impressed on the mound? Or didn't quite impress you, but was effective on the mound? Like I said, it was weird. Cause, I mean, after the game, I was, I was sitting there going, there were, you, know, f- you know, there's a lot of good players in the game, but nobody really dominated. Like, you know, Yamamoto, to touch on him for a second, his best pitch was his curve, which, which we knew. But he had some, he at one point walked three guys on a row and got out of it. And, and like Yamamoto, you know, from that clip was very honest. I mean, he wasn't dominant, but he, he did battle out of a lot of jams. I mean, he, he sat around 90 miles an hour with this fastball. Um, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see what becomes of him. That curveball is a really good pitch, but he might be more reliever than starter in the long run. I mean, the other starter, it was kind of the same thing, Tim. Miguel Diaz for the, for the Javelinas, um, you know, gave up only one earned run in three and two thirds innings, and he struck out five. Um, but he had struggled trouble with his command too. He was ninety four, ninety eight. Um, his slider and changeup could be pretty good at times too. So like he showed you, like three pitches where you're like, okay, that's three pitches. Guy could be a starter, but he doesn't command it real well. The delivery's not great. So he's probably a, a reliever in, in the long run. And there were a parade of relievers who who basically put up zeros. Um, until the end, um, the best reliever, the be- the best stuff, and the best, I guess, performance in the game of all those relievers, probably Jesus Tinoco, the Rockies, who was part of the Tulowitzki trade a couple years ago. He just needed 19 pitches to retire six of seven hitters he faced, and it was almost all fastballs, 94, 98 with life. So he was he was probably, well, he was definitely. I mean, he was the most impressive pitcher of the day, uh, pitching two innings of scoreless relief. All right, let's talk big picture Arizona Fall League. We had Keston Hira on the podcast last week, and he was a great guest. Um, And we're going to hear from him again because, obviously, we didn't have anything to do with this. He had already put in a a great Fall League before we got to talk to him. But he is the 2018 AFL MVP. Let's hear from Keston talking about that award and and his fall overall. Here's Keston. It's exciting. It's been a big honor. And um, I've had a great time out here meeting new people. Uh, playing against um, some of the best talent you know around the world, so I'm excited to be here, and um, you know I'm grateful to receive that award. How, how would you categorize your fall league? Obviously, the numbers are what they are, really good, a ton of RBIs. Just how do you feel you've played out here? I feel good. Um, you know, big reason uh, what I want to get out of this was getting more reps at second base, and um, I felt I was able to do that and you know, make a lot of plays where um, that make me feel more comfortable out there. So, you know, I'm happy about that. And um, obviously my performance at the plate, you know, I'm, you know, I'm pretty happy about that as well. So overall, it's been a great fall for me. Like you said, everyone knew you knew you could hit and you've shown that out here, but you did come here to play defense. Yeah. How much more comfortable do you feel defensively than you did, I guess, six weeks ago? Yeah, a lot more comfortable. Um, you know, I wasn't able to start, you know, off the season, last season, uh, second base to DH for the first month. So uh, to be able to get that month back here and, um, you know, against players that you know are smoking balls at you and um, you know making you move, you know different different shifts as well. So all that you know comes together. You know, definitely helps me feel a little bit more comfortable out there. I mean, it's a double A this year now here. How would you evaluate your season as a whole, not just the fall league, but all of 2018? Yeah, um, you know, I'd, I'd say it's you know it's success in my eyes. Um, you know, big reason or a big goal for me this year was to stay healthy and be able to play as many games as I can um, out on the field, and you know I was able to do that. So then you know I was able to achieve my goal. 
Where do, where do you go from here? How much time do you take off where you start working again? Or what's kind of the off-season plan before spring training? Yeah, I'll take a little bit of time off. Um, I know breweries and myself, you know, want to take some time off. Um, probably start up again in about, you know, a month or so. So um, just enjoying the off-season, um, seeing the family. You know, I haven't seen them much this past year. So, uh, you know, cherish those moments and, um, you know, going into the holidays. So just looking to, you know, enjoy the time and um, you know, spend time with family. Cole Tucker is winning the Sportsmanship Award. Just what kind of person, what kind of player is he? Oh, he's a great guy. I got a chance to know him, um, you know, this fall league. And, um, you know, he's from Arizona. And um, you know, just being able to see him out on the field and then um, being able to talk to him, he's a great all-around player and great all-around guy. So, um, you know, I'm happy for him and um, can't think of anyone better deserving. Jim, you don't always get one of the top prospects in the AFL winning the MVP award. I'm thinking back over the years, and sometimes there's a guy that – you're like, who? wait, who? I don't remember seeing him on any top 30s or anything. And he just puts together a tremendous six weeks and ends up winning the MVP award out there. But Keston Hira is obviously the Brewers' number one prospect, has hit since he joined professional baseball and continued to hit all fall in Arizona. Yeah, you know, we've actually been on a pretty good roll because the last two MVPs before this were Ronald Acuna and Glaber Torres, although... Before that was Adam Engel, which speaks to your point. And that's Adam Engel is who I'm thinking of. Yeah. And Adam Engel, like, hit, like, it seemed like he hit about 700. It wasn't quite that high. You know, Chris McGinnis won an MVP award sandwiched between Nolan Arenado and Chris Bryant earlier this decade, too. So it, it is kind of kind of random sometimes who wins it. But, no, here it pretty much hit from day one. I think he, you know, Jonathan was there at the beginning. And, you know, when we had him on the podcast, I think he, what, drove in seven runs the first two games. And he, and he wound up leading the league and in RBIs and I think hits and I think extra base hits. And he was one off the home run title uh, and just hit from start to finish and produced runs. I mean, he was in a, a deep lineup. Uh, Lucius Fox was, was usually the guy getting on base ahead of him. And Lucius Fox had a good fall league. So it seemed like, like Lucius Fox was on second base every time that, that Keston came up. And, and aptly, that was exactly the case in the ninth inning of the championship game. And, and Keston came through with a hit, but no, he, I don't think there's any question. Keston's going to hit. It was interesting in the fall league, you know, you know, Keston's going to hit for average and power. He can do both. But coming out of the draft, he was best pure hitter in 2017 draft. He'd won the NCAA batting title, Division One. you know, in his draft year. And in the fall league, he actually looked like he was hitting, concentrating more on hitting for power than for average because he actually did not, you know, he struck out more than you'd expect him to hit, but he hit for a lot more power than maybe people realized he had or, or, or fans realized he had. So I'll be curious to see the finished product of Keston Hira like, like where, where's it going to fall on that average versus power spectrum? You know, is it going to be a balance or is he going to go a little bit more towards one direction or the other? But there, there's no question that he can hit. And it's it's not really exaggeration to say he can pretty much do what he wants at the plate. I mean, I think if Keston Hero wants to, you know, win a batting championship, you know, go, contend for batting titles and, and maybe be a 15 home run guy, he could do that. And I think if Keston Hero wants to hit 30 home runs and maybe hit 260, he could do that too. He, he just is very gifted with the bat. Okay, so the Arizona Fall League is over. We're done with baseball, sadly, basically until uh, spring training comes around. Um, but when you look back on this, when you think back to before the AFL started, your expectations with the number of big players that were going to be out there and what has happened, what, what kind of stands out, out to you big picture from this year's Arizona Fall League? Well, I, I, I'll, I'll take that in two directions. One, I mean, it was kind of cool because I can't remember the last time, if it's ever happened, that you had the consensus best prospect in baseball, which was Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and the consensus best pitching prospect in baseball, which was Forrest Whitley, 
in the league at the same time. You usually don't get the top-notch pitchers like that, and you don't always get the number one overall prospect because you kind of have to catch the guy at the right time of his career. Most guys spend you know one year in the fall league, and then they're gone. And both those guys, I mean, I'm not going to say that you know they would just step right into the big leagues and dominate right now, but I think they both are pretty much close to big league ready. Um, you could see that they had some things to work on. You know, Vlad Jr. was – you know, what you'd expect. I think he struck out like one time in his first 50 or 60 at bats, got a little tired and then he had to leave a little bit early, but I mean, he looked very much like the the best hitting prospect by far in baseball. He, he didn't hit a home run, which I guess was a surprise. And then Whitley, you know, announced himself. He struck out the first seven guys he faced in his first start. Um, I think he wound up leading the league in strikeouts. Um, you know, he needs to fine tune his command a little bit, but what impressed me about Whitley was his best, you know, he's, he can miss your bat with four pitches, his best secondary pitch. He had a filthy, filthy changeup, um, which doesn't seem fair when you can throw 92, 97 with life and have a pair of power breaking balls, but he's ridiculous. And he just needs a few more innings because he hasn't pitched that much. So that was one thing. And then I guess the other thing would be kind of the guys who, who, who jumped up and, and maybe, you know, stood out that you weren't aware, like, hey, this guy's really, really good. And I think the guy who did that the most for me was Jazz Chisholm of Salt River, who was a taxi squad player, which many only played twice a week. But, uh, man, he's he's a dynamic shortstop, Tim. I mean, that, that's a cool part of the fall league is seeing guys you didn't know a lot about. And I knew who, he knew he was a prospect, but he'd been hurt in 17. I hadn't really seen him play for an extended period. But I mean, you're talking about a guy who can definitely play shortstop, he, uh, I think this guy could be 20, 25 home run guy. Uh, he can run. He, he's, he's got that, you know, we, we could mic him up too. He's got a great personality also. He's, uh, he, he's, he was really fun to watch. So he was kind of the leader of guys who I knew about, but I maybe didn't realize, man, that guy's even better than I thought. You know, Christian Pache was that way for me as well. Kind of opened my eyes. I mean, we, we always talk about him being the best defensive player in the minors or defensive outfielder. And, I mean, that guy could be a 2020 player, you know, and a gold glove center fielder. I mean, he was the second youngest guy in the league uh, behind Vlad Jr. And, and then even some more obscure guys, like a couple of relievers, I, I knew nothing about Tim, Matt Wivness and, and John Olzak. Wivness is with the Yankees and Olzak is with the Brewers. And they don't throw hard, but man, they have breaking stuff that they got. I mean, they, they throw hard enough. It's low 90s, but they have breaking stuff sliders that guys just can't catch up to. And I, you know, I'm not going to say those guys are, you know, big league closers or anything, but like, I bet you Matt Wivness and John Olzak pitching the big leagues and at least get a chance to see how that, that slider plays against those type of guys. All right. It's been an exciting Arizona fall league. It was an exciting uh, season overall, and that's going to do it for this edition of the pipeline podcast. Jim, great job. Great job out in Arizona the whole time. And obviously we're underway with the trades. We will be back with you after the holiday with the next Pipeline podcast. For Jim Callis, I'm Tim McMaster. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend? 
or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. 